The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John, chapter 14, beginning at the 23rd verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this because it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. For the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. May the words that flow from my mouth make sense because they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I begin by asking you a question? Is anything troubling you at the moment? Stupid question, right? I'd be better off asking, is there anything that's not troubling you at the moment? Uh, My team won yesterday, so I'm a little less troubled. Of course, I'm talking about the rugby league. Nothing else I could be talking about, is there? It seems like the thing that troubled most people at the 7.30 service was the colour of my shoes uh, this morning. (sighs) But in all seriousness, we are living in a troubled and troubling world. At every level, look at what's going on globally, nationally, and locally. And that's before we can even consider what's going on in our messy personal lives. I mean, will this rain ever stop long enough for me to play golf again? This week, I learned that now I have to worry about getting monkeypox. Holy dooly, what will it be next? Some good news, though. Today's Bible reading is Jesus' response to troubled hearts. In the lead-up to Jesus' words that we hear this morning, he's just been asked four troubled questions by his disciples. Firstly, Peter asks, Lord, where are you going? A little bit later, Thomas chirps in, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And after Jesus' response, Philip is too confused, still confused and says, show us the Father. We don't know what you're meaning. And then immediately before the words that we heard Paul read to us this morning, Judas um, 
not the Iscariot, the other Judas, asks Jesus this, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Even though we are in the church's calendar in the season still of Easter, when we're thinking about post-resurrection, our readings last week and this week take us back to John's record of the last words that Jesus has to his disciples prior to his death. The disciples have been hearing what Jesus has been saying. They've been seeing his acts and the way that he's been interacting with people. But they've also been aware of how he's been received by people like the scribes and the Pharisees and the murmuring that's going on around that. And they really don't fully understand what is going on. But what they do understand makes them troubled. And so a few moments before we get to today's passage, Jesus says to them these very familiar words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I've always imagined the tone of Jesus' voice in this section as being really gentle, comforting, consoling, warm and tender. And then Jesus points to a future promise. He says, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. These words that we hear are spoken just moments before the disciples hear the words that we heard read to us this morning. And interestingly, they start with these words. Those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. The words dwelling places and home, dwelling places in verse 2 and home in verse 23, both come from the same Greek word. They're variations of the Greek verb to stay, meno, meaning a place to abide, a place to continue, a place to dwell and remain. Verse 2 is a future promise for troubled hearts, but verse 23 is actually a present promise for troubled hearts. The God with us, the Emmanuel, Jesus, incarnate in Jesus, will now be with us, be in us, for all those who keep my word. These are comforting words for troubled hearts. And so I'm convinced that Jesus is not saying 
As long as you get everything I've said right every time, all the time, and without fail, then and only then will God think about being with you. Rather, what I hear Jesus say in these comforting words is that the God with us that they've experienced in Jesus will now always be with them and be with us as we try our best to incarnate, which means to bring to life what Jesus has taught us. And Jesus tells us that's great news because we won't be on our own. Because we'll have that personal connection with God that's called the Holy Spirit, the advocate with us. Jesus says to his disciples, and this extends to you and me today, you don't have to wait until we get to the place that Jesus has prepared for us to experience that continuing intimacy, that relationship with God because it's already started. It can start right now. Eternal life has already begun. If that has started to settle your troubled heart a little, which I hope it has, I still haven't got to my favourite part of this passage. Verse 27. Let me remind you of these words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Again, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. In John's Gospel, this is the first time that Jesus uses the word peace. It's used a total of three times in the Gospel, another two times. But each of these three times are really significant moments. Firstly, here. And then he uses the word peace in the last sentence that he speaks to his disciples gathered together before his death. He says, I have said this to you so that you may have peace. In the world you will face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. We still hear more words from Jesus after that bit, but that's sort of like John letting us eavesdrop on Jesus' prayer before his arrest. But this is the final sentence that he says to the group for them to take note of, so that you might have peace. And very interestingly, the first word that he says to them as a gathered group after the resurrection is, you guessed it, peace. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. So let's see if this peace that Jesus speaks of, a peace that is not as the world gives, appeases our troubled hearts a little bit more. 
Although uh, we could talk about what the word peace means in Greek, which I do like to do from time to time, if you've noticed. The fact of the matter is that Jesus spoke Aramaic. And the word that he would have used would have been the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom, shalom, whichever way you prefer to pronounce it, it's still the same, shalom. And shalom has a deeper meaning than the peace, the word peace as we know it and apply it. Shalom signifies more than just an absence of conflict. It has a profound and holistic sense of well-being. In fact, shalom's meaning is very close to our understanding, our concept of justice. When justice is done, it was seen as God's gift to God's people. And the understanding was that shalom came to the people when they faithfully lived under God's covenant. When Jesus talks of peace here, at the end of his final words to the disciples and as his first words to them as a gathered group, he's certainly levelling up our understanding of what peace is. But I also think that even though shalom is a deeper word than what we would use for peace, Jesus is even levelling up the disciples' understanding of what shalom is. I'm going to try and help us understand the profound depth of this type of peace. But in doing so, I readily admit that my words and my illustrations will fall woefully short of the depth and profoundness of what this peace really is. But I do hope that you can glimpse this peace in a way that helps us to wrap our head around how profound it really is, and particularly the impact that it can have. When I think of how our world sees peace, particularly in an international relationship type of sense, there are two expressions that come to my mind immediately. The expression, terms for peace, and price of peace. When the expression terms for peace is used, it's normally around the end or getting to the end of a war. And there are conditions that will bring an end to the conflict. And these terms almost always involve some sort of compromise. I've heard a number of commentators say that if peace was to eventually come between the Ukraine and Russia, and we all pray that it will, there will have to be some form of compromise at some level from both parties. But the peace that Jesus talks about is a gift from Jesus. And so... It's without compromise. Nothing has to be given up by the recipient. 
It's just an unconditional gift. How amazing does that sound? Unconditional, no compromise. When we use the expression, the price of peace, we do so with an awareness that to achieve peace, it normally costs us something. The price of peace could be as trivial as sending out the rest of the household to go to the movies so that you can get some peace and quiet. Or more seriously, in terms of how we talk and describe our Anzacs on Anzac Day. But in the way that Jesus offers peace, it is a price that has been completely paid on our behalf by him. As he says to his disciples, as his last words, but take courage, I have conquered the world. Interestingly, he says this before his death and resurrection. But that's a whole other sermon. The whole price has been paid by Jesus for us forever. Again, how amazing does that sound? Surely there must be a catch. Well, I think there is. I think that there is something in the fact that Jesus only talks about this special type of peace in this way to the group of disciples together. He doesn't pull his favourite disciple, John, the beloved, aside and say, look, John, I've got something special to tell you. Or Peter, the one that will lead them. Or Peter, James and John, the inner circle. The whole of the disciples hear this together. I think that there's something in that for us. I'm sure all of us think of peace on a global perspective in the same way that every Miss Universe contestant does. We hope for world peace. But when I ask myself, what is the peace that the world gives or talks about, I really have to land only in one place. The peace that the world gives is really an individualistic type of peace, isn't it? The world tries to convince us that we can achieve a sense of inner peace by consumption and acquisition. If you have the right clothes, look the right way, wear the right shoes... I bought these on sale. I don't know why uh, you couldn't sell at retail price orange shoes, but hey. But the world tries to convince us that if you live in the right place, have the right job, have the right partner, we're supposed to have a sense of satisfaction, contentment, and peace. The world tells us that we can achieve a sense of inner peace by being our true and authentic selves without care or concern 
for how others might feel or see us. That we will achieve peace when we are living our best lives. But with Jesus, peace isn't for the individual. First, peace is for the community. And in this case, the community of believers. So the peace that Jesus is talking to us about is relational. He leaves his radical, leveled up version of peace with his disciples as a gift. And it's a gift that is meant to be used. And to use this gift, the disciples have to give it to others, to each other. I wonder what our families would look like. I wonder what our community, our nation, our world would look like if followers of Jesus offered peace as a gift to others without compromise. What would it mean if we, the followers of Jesus, paid the complete price for peace, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others? Let that sink in for a moment. I wonder if you can think or allow yourself to think of the most conflicted part of your life at the moment. What would it mean for you to bring peace to that situation with no compromise? With no price being paid by the other person? What if all the compromise and the price was being paid by you? You might think to yourself, well, there's no justice in that. And that's why I think that this type of peace is a leveled up version of shalom. It's almost like shalom has been amplified by grace. Peace, the peace that Jesus leaves with us, the peace that we are called to give is shalom amplified by grace. is what Jesus has given to us. It is what Jesus has entrusted to us. And it's what Jesus calls us to gift to others. How amazing would it be if we could actually live like this? Or at least start to try. Thank God that we have the Holy Spirit who is God with us as we try. My prayer is that as we try, we might find ourselves feeling less troubled and that those who we gift this type of peace, the shalom amplified by grace, also might feel less troubled. Because this type of peace 
Shalom amplified by grace has never mattered more. Loving God, you call us to be people of peace, but not in a sense of sitting back and letting the world take care of itself, not jumping into situations. You are calling us to gift others what you have gifted us, that deep sense of peace that we can't explain with words, that is beyond our comprehension, that we can only understand when we look at what you have done for us. And as we do that, might we realise that you have given us the amazing opportunity and responsibility to pass that gift on to others. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing together?